The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 326, broadcasting live on Wednesday, December 9th, 2016. I'm your host, Rich, and our call-in number is 347-324-3541. 347-324-3541 is our call-in number. Uh, it seems that even our video is not running right. Hold on a second. Ah, I come back on air and everything everything goes crazy. Let me see that. Let's try again. See if we can get that up and running. Let's see. So I come back. The dial-in doesn't work. Uh, we're having trouble with the video feed. All kinds of mayhem and insanity going on. So we're just going to go with the uh, regular old stationary image for the time being until we can switch everything back. Uh, see if we can get it fixed. If not, then we'll just run with it this way. Nope. Camera remains frozen. You know what? Hold on a second, guys. I want to close it up and try and open it again and see if we can at least get the video stream up and running. Because, of course, why the hell would that not work? See that. I see Val was in the chat. Good to see you, Val. Slick, thanks for the update with the um, dial-in. Because that's not working either. Anyway. This is what happens. You come back, you take a break, everything goes sideways. So let's get that local recording up and running again. Hopefully it works. And let's see if we can get the restream up and running again. See if that works. All right. There we go. Everything seems to be up and running. In any case, I see Jay Santi's in there. Uh, Jay was supposed to call in tonight. Unfortunately, the call in number is not working because that's how things work. But, of course, Jay will definitely contribute in the chat anyway so as i was saying before everything went to shit our call in number 347-324-3541 is not working this evening i appreciate slick letting me know um aside from that our video feed has been a little sketchy keep me posted let me know if you're able to um get video up and running if not you know definitely keep me abreast of that as well in any case, as I was saying, um, we're going to try and, and do the show with the broken stuff, audio, video, 
Uh, just want to get back on air and get the ball rolling. Uh, before we get into tonight's MMA and wrestling, we're going to definitely need to get a lot of housekeeping out of the way. Uh, first up, got to wish our very own Ben a happy birthday. He is celebrating a birthday today. I'm sure that there may or may not be an episode of Black is the New Black. That depends. I know he's taking a well-deserved birthday holiday, so props to him. And, um, you know, Black is the New Black has pretty much been holding it down along with our friends at the regular season sportscast and uh, the Buried Show. Definitely want to extend kudos to all the hosts of all those shows for putting in a lot of great work during the month that we were off. And um, with that, you know, I want to definitely recommend you guys check them out. And as always, if you have any questions or concerns about any of those shows or need to know any schedules, feel free to reach out on social media, either to me or to the hosts individually. And they will be more than more than more than glad to give you all the information possible for you guys to enjoy their shows. Aside from that, um, the broadcast schedule for the month of December, a little different, a little bit abridged, obviously, due to the holidays. But we are doing, of course, tonight's MMA and wrestling show. Tomorrow we will be doing a gaming and entertainment show. And next week we will be doing both shows, but they're going to be more year-end open format shows in the sense that we're going to talk about you know, some of our favorite matches, our favorite moments, uh, both from MMA and and wrestling on the gaming side, we're going to talk about some of the games that we felt were the games of 2015, what we're looking forward to in 2016, real casual, definitely would love it to be all hands on deck with all our hosts, if time permits, as well as some of our regulars, just to put something together for the closeout of 2015. There will be no shows Christmas week or New Year's week, of course, and then we will be coming back on air on January 13th and 14th and that will be the start of the 2016 broadcast schedule now aside from that there are some other announcements i did want to make Um, our very own slick has been doing a great job with all our gaming content while i've been working on some other projects and some other stuff for rageworks Uh, because of that you know obviously slick has pretty much become the de facto gaming guru for the site And, um, you know, definitely a role that we hope to increase in 2016 for him to pretty much oversee that aspect of the site. Of course, I will continue to do reviews and all the other stuff, but I am trying to really laser focus on growing Rageworks and MTR in 2016. And because of that, you know, can't spread myself too thin, so definitely will be involving our team slick of course will be in a in a assuming a greater role on the gaming side of things while i try to increase our platform not only for the gaming space but also for the broadcast space as well with that in january 2016 we will be making a very very big change Uh, The My Take Radio feed that you guys are currently consuming via iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio is getting rebranded. That feed will officially no longer be My Take Radio after January 2016 and will be the Rageworks Network. Meaning, 
that it will be a feed for iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio, which will have all the shows currently accessible on RageWorks. One of the reasons, of course, is to eliminate a lot of the confusion that my hosts have to deal with with regards to uh, putting their shows out there. I know Jay has been vocal about this, as have others, you know, looking for My Take Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. While it is easy, if you're someone who's listening to TRSS or Black is the New Black or The Buried Show, you may forget or these guys are going to have to end up fielding questions about where their shows are. So because of that, uh, the My Take Radio feed in 2016 will be renamed as the RageWorks Network. This will have all our shows, including My Take Radio, TRSS, Black is the New Black, The Buried Show, and some of our other content. So that's going to be one of the big things that we will be doing in 2016. This will, of course, include new show art for the network feed, etc., etc., etc. And the plan is that by doing that, it will allow us to not only have a broader scope, but again, to eliminate a lot of the confusion. So that's definitely going to be something that will be going down by, at, at minimum, the second week of January, maybe the third week, depending on the timing. But uh, the My Take Radio feed will officially be rebadged and rebranded as the RageWorks Network. Still on the fence of whether it's going to be the RageWorks Radio Network to keep the radio from My Take Radio in there, or if it's going to be the RageWorks Network as a whole. Uh, going to work on that, though, and see what the deal is, and we'll take it from there. Um, I am I am excited for this next chapter. Obviously, you know, with guys like like Ben and Taylor holding it down, and the Buried Boys and Jay, and also some of the other shows that we hope to partner with and include. That we're gonna definitely be increasing uh, the footprint of the RageWorks Network in 2016. So definitely very excited for that. Um, the other thing I did want to mention is uh, MTR's current broadcast location uh, will be changing in January. Where we're going or what we're doing, uh, we'll, we'll leave that as a surprise for now, but that will be changing um, in January. My intent originally was to come off the break at the new location to broadcast the show, but uh, scheduling and some issues with internet setup have proven to be rather difficult to overcome. But uh, come January, there's definitely going to be a new uh, location for MTR broadcasts. And with that will also come a huge shift in how we're going to start doing product reviews and unboxings. And um, with that, we're also going to be bringing on board uh, someone who's going to be handling a lot of the subscription-based unboxings you know, Loot Crate, Nerd Block, stuff like that. And we will be using that on our YouTube channel. Uh, most likely starting this month, if not, we'll probably start it in 2016 with the Marvel Collector's Crate. Uh, still ironing out the details for that with the individual that's going to be involved. Uh, for those of you that have been longtime listeners of the show, you'll probably recognize this person from a lot of different projects that he, this person has worked on uh, with RageWorks and MTR. So definitely it's going to be a familiar face, someone a lot of you guys know, and we are going to be doing a lot 
on on the YouTube side in 2016. Now, a couple of things that people have um, reached out for over the holiday break. Uh, first and foremost, uh, MTR is not going anywhere. I know a couple of people messaged me on social media and via email asking if uh, 325 was the last MTR show. Um, of course, they if they would have listened fully, they would have seen that 325 was just a, uh, a break. And during that time, you know, I took a, took an opportunity to catch up on, you know, just a backlog of games, went to see a couple of movies. You guys have seen the reviews popping up on the site, went to see Creed, current, currently working on um, a review for uh, the night before and for Krampus, which I went to see uh, this past weekend. Both reviews should be up this week, schedule permitting. Uh, also got uh, some game reviews that we are working on. I know that Slick has been holding it down with a lot of different game reviews um, that he's been putting out, so definitely make sure to go to RageWorks.net, check those out. Um, Our holiday gift guides are starting to make their way across the web. Uh, First one that went live was our gaming gaming gift guide, a lot of great gaming recommendations from all of our team. Uh, Make sure to check that out if you're on the fence about what to get the gamer in your life or yourself for the holiday season uh earlier today we did publish our mma and wrestling gift guide lots of great stuff for mma and wrestling fans as well as mma practitioners or martial artists in general lots of cool gadgets accessories and gear there um the only thing that i gotta remind people about is that if you are getting any of the stuff from our friends at east coast mma Make sure to put in the promo code RAGE, R-A-G-E, lowercase, to save 15% off clothing orders. Again, promo code put together by our friends at East Coast MMA to save you guys 15% on any clothing orders that you guys get. There's lots of great merch there, stuff from Suplex Apparel, Round 5, Pro Wrestling Tees, uh, Roots of Fight, WWE, of course, uh, there's some Blu-rays on there, a couple of different recommendations, and um, I had a really good time putting this gift guide together. The next gift guide I'm hoping to have complete, if not by the end of this week, hopefully by next week, and that's going to be our, it's it, it's it's a little bit more generic, more of our gadgets and gear uh, gift guide, and you're going to see some of the gadgets and gear that we've recommended on the site, plus a couple of other things that I that I have on my radar and that I'm currently in the process of reviewing including this Huawei smartwatch, which um, replaced, or let me rephrase, usurped my Moto 360 as the premier smartwatch in my house. Uh, The Moto 360 now has a new home with someone else, but um, the Huawei smartwatch has been a very solid piece of tech, really enjoying my time with it, so be on the lookout for that review. Also, we got a monitor from our friends at Games, that we are going to be utilizing for the show and the site. Uh, the unboxing for that is already on our YouTube channel, and the review for that is in progress. So again, our Gadgets and Gear gift guide will be available probably by the end of next week. I, I want to I go that route, let's say the end of next week, to ensure that we get everything in there, get all the links and all the stuff from all the corresponding vendors again that's pretty much where we're at uh this monitor that i'm using 
Uh, it's a 1080p monitor. Uh, it's USB powered with HDMI. Really nice. Um, there are some specs, Val, on the unboxing video on our YouTube channel, but I can find out for you and give you that information as well before the review goes live. Uh, another thing I did want to mention, and this will be the last thing before we get into this week's show, is that our Facebook fan page recently broke 4,000 fans. I want to thank all of you that have shared the page, recommended the page, and shared our content to your friends, family, acquaintances, loved ones, lovers, whatever. And um, you guys have done a great job with that. And uh, we are definitely really, really excited. I wanted to put a video on the Facebook page, and time just was not on my side this week. But I will be putting one up just to acknowledge that we did break 4K and um, onwards to 5,000. That's the goal. And just very grateful not only for all the people that have come on board and started following the show and supporting the show and all the work that the hosts are doing, but just motivating us to keep putting out kick-ass content that is unique, different, and has a voice that is similar to your own. So there you have it. All right. So. Of course, we got on deck for tonight. I got fight picks. It is a very, very busy week in the world of mixed martial arts with all the upcoming fights. I do want to get into this weekend's uh, TLC pay-per-view. And, um, you know, we're also going to go into the MMA and wrestling news of the week. I would have loved to have taken your calls, but unfortunately, it seems that we are not, again, with a we're not ha- we do not have an operational switchboard even though block talk radio says that we are dialed in i really i don't i don't see that being the case in any case let's get this ball rolling that's going to wrap it up for housekeeping let's talk some mma shall we All right, so let's get this ball rolling with obviously the big news story during our one-month hiatus, and that is Ronda Rousey losing her title to Holly Holm. Um, a couple of things with regards to that. The The first thing is that it was a, pretty much a shock heard around the world. Even if you did pick Holly Holm to win, you were still shocked by the devastating fashion that the victory came about. Everybody everybody that was pulling for Holly Holm or pulling for Ronda Rousey, if you were pulling for Holly Holm, you didn't see that coming. You didn't. If you were watching it casually, you, did, you expected it to end quickly, but not for the person that was involved. The way I see it is that... and. This is this is something that I want to I figured I'd open with this because it's going to be something that we're going to dig into a little deep. For those of you that automatically shit on Ronda Rousey after this performance, you guys don't either you're casual fans and I hate to say it or you really just don't appreciate the nuances of the sport. The fact is this. Ronda Rousey was on a tear. A very, very big tear. She was 
de- decimating women, you know, opponents left and right in in ridiculous fashion. And because of it, you know, people people jumped on the bandwagon. To some, it was one of those things where they were impressed with her tenacity with what she brought to the sport. Others just felt that, you know, she was a good-looking fighter that went in there and got the job done. Um, for other fans, they just felt that she was a product of Dana White's marketing machine. And here's here's where I stand. I was discussing this with uh, Jimbo Slice a couple of, couple of days after the fight. And he posed a very interesting question, a very interesting theory. He said, Ronda Rousey was undefeated. That's great. But who did she really beat? And it got me thinking. And I said to myself, you know what? You got to look at that. And you do have to really think on it. And I say this because Ronda Rousey was 12-0. She fought her fair share of opponents. Were those opponents the toughest opponents in the sport or the most dominant a a case can be made that that was not the case. And the reason I say this is because there was a a very, very big gap in skill level between her and all her opponents. Uh, The same could be said for Holly Holm. Holly Holm was undefeated coming in. People can say, well, who has Holly Holm fought? I'm not, I'm not making excuses for either woman, but it's definitely something that can be said because if you are a champion, your legacy is not only defined by your performance, but it's also defined by the caliber of opponents that you face. And when you look at some of the champions in the UFC, there are guys that have really made themselves household names, not only based on their performances, but off the back of the people that they have faced. Um, A great example of this, and whether people love him or hate him, is John Jones. When you look at John Jones, whether you love him or hate him, the fact is that he's a guy that has fought some of the best of the best in the sport. Guys that are at the top of their food chain and guys that are on a tear in the division. And when you look at that, you understand that that's a guy who's been clearly defined not only by the people that he's faced, but just by the way that he's dispatched them. You know, you look at the Alexander Gustafson fight. You look at his first fight with Daniel Cormier. You look at his fight with Rampage and so many other fights, and you'll understand. I'm not Rampage, excuse me. You look at his fight with Rashad Evans, and you'll see that Jones had a lot of guys that he fought that were either in in the midst of their prime, at the top of their game, or, or were just that good. Now, in Ronda's case, that's not to say that the caliber of opponents that she faced were lesser opponents. I just feel that they weren't on the level where they really genuinely posed a threat. I'm not saying that she was fed cans, but I'm not saying that she faced a competition that was really going to test her. In Holly Holmes case, a lot can be said about a fighter who had amazing stand up and who came from a boxing background and really just utilized that effectively against Ronda. But Ronda didn't just lose on the basis of fighting a pure striker. 
She lost because she was outmatched on the stand-up and in the strength department. There's no better example than Ronda Rousey shooting in, trying to take Holly Holm down, and Holly Holm not having it. Another great example, Ronda Rousey going in for the strike. Holly Holm's footwork made Ronda Rousey look silly to the point where she fell into the cage. And when you see stuff like that, you know, you say to yourself, damn, well, how good was Ronda then? It's not a question of how good Ronda was. The real question is, how good can Ronda be after losing in such devastating fashion? And a lot of people have have talked about this. And of course, people have written countless pieces about it. Dana White has talked about it. The first thing is that Ronda Rousey will get a rematch. That's a given. Besides the fact that people want may or may not have, have wanted to watch her fight before, they're going to definitely want to watch her fight now. And the reason is because can she get to the top? It's a great story of redemption. Can Holly Holm retain a great story in regards to her being more than, you know, being more than a person who got in a lucky kick. The thing is that this, these are the moments that really define fighters, both the victor and the loser. Because in Ronda's case, she obviously was humbled in defeat and didn't show her face, didn't release a statement until recently, which I'm going to get into. But above all, she realized that you can only be untouchable for so long. And getting that way either makes you become complacent or makes you become a person who believes their own hype a little too much. And I think that was Rhonda's case. Rhonda didn't have a training camp with people that would push her. Much like BJ Penn, Rhonda Rousey had a training camp comprised of employees, comprised of Team Rousey. And while that's great and it was effective for the bulk of her career, I think that's one of the things that ne- that needs to be changed. You do not need, you know, you don't need employees. In any sport, you need people that keep it real with you. You need good coaches. You need coaches that don't buy into your hype, that are pushing you to be the best you can be, and not just people that are getting a salary based off your merits. These are the facts. At the end of the day, you really got to ask yourself, did Ronda lose because she Holly Holm was the better fighter, or did Ronda lose because she reached a point where she believed her own hype. And that's a question that some people are going to answer very easily. And others are going to say is, you know, it's open to interpretation for me. I felt that Ronda Rousey was as good as she was based on the caliber of opponents that she faced. And Holly Holm was just the better fighter that day. And if Ronda continues to have a training camp comprised of yes, men, then the rematch result will be the same. At the end of the day, as as a fan of the sport, I want to see the best of the best go in the cage, square off, and try and give us the best fight possible. But with that comes expectations that, you know, we're going to ride with that fighter from beginning to end. And that's what defines a person as a true fan. It's not the person that's rooting for the fighter when they win and stops rooting for them when they lose. It's the person that 
believes in that fighter from bell to bell. And what happened with Ronda opened my eyes to a lot of people who I know personally that just did not follow the sport as passionately as they did. They were either people that came into the into the fold based on just the, the allure and the mystique or people that just watch, you know, the big name fights. A person who's well-established and well-seasoned in watching the UFC or any sport and is rooting for a particular fighter or a particular team is always going to see both sides of, of, of they're going to see both sides of the coin. For me, Ronda's loss was, is a valuable learning tool, not only for her, but for the UFC, because the UFC didn't say to themselves, what will we do and what stars do we have when this fight loses, when this fighter loses? Because when Holly Holm won, it almost looked like the UFC didn't know how to even book her correctly. I'm serious. You know, she had she had a parade in Albuquerque, New Mexico with 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 a lot of people showing support. Uh she was eloquent, well spoken, uh said nothing but good things about her opponent. Um a great ambassador and another great role model. And yes, the UFC is going to promote her, but I want to I want you guys to do me a favor and slick if you can Go to the UFC site, go to the women's division, and get a screenshot of of the champion. The reason I ask you to do that is because, and this is crazy, if you go and you look at the bantamweight division, you know how usually Ronda Rousey is shown holding the belt? Well, Ronda Rousey's picture still has her holding the belt, and there isn't even a photo of Holly Holm as champion. And that's some real crazy shit. Because how long has it been since Holly Holm won? And yes, it could a question and a, and a case could be made, oh well, they didn't update the site. You've just you've just been part of history. And when you look at Holly Holm, you don't see her holding the belt. The only thing you see is a picture of her and women's bantamweight title holder. That's it. And this, this again, reinforces, and I hate to say it or beat a dead horse, it reinforces the fact that the UFC is only going to get behind the people that they deem marketable. And, you know, we've said this about wrestling, but seeing that alone really showed me something because I said to myself, you know, this this young lady has been... You know, she's been she's been champion for going on a month now. And and the organization can't even step in and and give her some love and and you know, just update the site accordingly. And it's and it's you know, it's just it's just a sad state of affairs that you see that and again, it just it just unfortunately reinforces something that I've said. And it and it goes it goes both ways, you know. There are fighters that they go out of their way to become their own, you know, their own personalities because they know that the that the organization does not mutually feel that they are marketable. And a great example of this is Jose Aldo. Jose Aldo is going into a fight with Conor McGregor this weekend. It is a fight that has a tremendous amount of hype. 
a tremendous amount of fanfare, pageantry, shit talking, you name it, it's happening. And what you're seeing is that Jose Aldo is the one that's going out of a, out of his way promoting the fight on his terms. Conor McGregor is going to do what Conor McGregor does, and the UFC obviously is going to make sure that that's the case. But Conor McGregor goes shows up on Kimmel, great, but he should you know why can't Jose Aldo show up on I don't know Conan or Fallon or whatever the case may be. And these are the types of things I'm talking about. It's all about making sure that you're not only marketing your fighters, but going the extra, the going the distance to create new stars. And in Holly Holmes' case, she was a wake-up call to the UFC that, once again, you put all your eggs in one basket and you didn't stop and think, hey, Ronda might lose. There's no better example of that than when Ronda lost and Dana White just... He just was devastated. And, of course, when he was asked about it, he said, oh, you know, I was devastated because the I, I have a, a, a close relationship with Ronda the same way that I have a close relationship with Chuck Liddell. And, you know, these are things where you see that really you're close with Ronda as uh, you're as close with Ronda as you were with Chuck Liddell, even though Ronda hasn't been in the UFC a fraction of the time that Liddell was. It's it's just crazy. It's crazy. Val says that those shows don't have Brazilian translators on deck. And um, there you go. Thank you, Slick. See, but he, whether he speaks English or he doesn't speak English, the UFC, you know, thank you, Slick. The UFC could have sent a translator. It's all about building hype, building marketability. And it's just the fact, it's not just the fact that, oh, you know, Jose Aldo doesn't speak English. You know, it, it, yes, in in, in the in a broad stroke, yeah, you could say, yeah, well, he doesn't speak English. But doesn't mean shit. Jose Aldo speaks English. Whether he speaks it well or not, it's the same thing like Anderson Silva. Remains to be seen. But again, go out of your way to promote the fighters. Make, make both those guys go out there and do all the work. You send Conor McGregor out there. He's he's to some degree shouldering the entire promotion of the fight on his back. And, you know, it is what it is. The same thing with with Ronda, because, of course, Dana was like, yeah, you know, Ronda was really exhausted going into this fight. And I said to myself, I'm like, dude, you're not helping. You're not helping Ronda's case. You're not because you're over there. Oh, she was tired. She was overworked. She did too much. Blah, blah, blah. Shut the fuck up. You are a promoter. Your job as a promoter is to promote. That's your fucking job. You are a promoter. Your job is to promote fights. Not to say, oh, my fighter was tired. You're not the fighter's manager. You're not the fighter's coach. Nothing. You are a promoter. You are the boss. That's it. Your job is to promote your organization and all of your fighters, not picking and choosing who you want. But I feel like I said that what happened with Ronda, whether it happened with her and Holly Holm, whether it happened with her and Cyborg, the fact is that, you know, you, you some people have a puncher's chance. It could happen. Like I said, will history repeat itself? If Ronda doesn't really get out of her comfort zone and stop relying on yes men, I can see that happening. 
I really can. Now, the rematch for all intents and purposes may go down at UFC 200. We all would love that to be the case. But Dana White made sure to preface that with, oh, well, you know, when Ronda's ready to come back because she has a lot of other commitments. And when I heard that, I said, you know, you're really, again, not doing her any favors. She's got these commitments. We all know she has them. Dana, when are we going to get a rematch? I don't know. I know Ronda's working on some special projects, but I know that she's going to want to get in here and get her belt back. That's the right way to do it. Not, oh, well, you know, she's got a whole bunch of commitments outside of the outside of the cage, so we'll see. Because what's what what that ended up being what that ended up being was a trap door for Holly Holm to take another fight. Because again, this is about paydays. Holly Holm's payday would be fighting Ronda or fighting Cyborg for that matter. If Holly Holm takes another fight before Ronda comes back, you know, and she loses, then that the entire division is in disarray. I'm going to be quite honest. If you put Holly Holm in there with Misha Tate, who Val mentioned before we went on air, and Misha Tate wins for whatever reason, whether by decision or she genuinely just delivers a, a stellar performance, then what? Are we really going to want to sit through Ronda Rousey fighting someone else and then the winner fighting Misha Tate and Misha Tate trying to sell a card? It's not the same, folks. It's really not. And that's one of the things that people that people have said immediately. They were like, Misha Tate can't draw like Ronda can. Holly Holm, we don't even know if she can draw because obviously her first title defense hasn't been announced. But these are all questions that are going to pop up because, you know, it, it's, it's, it's something that really is going to come up frequently over the next couple of months. And Dana White's not going to like it. They're going to be like, oh, you know, are you going to, is Holly going to main event a card like, like Rhonda did when she faced her? Oh, well, you know, there's going to be a lot of those questions. And it's something that we're going to need to watch very, very carefully. Now, being that we got the holiday season in full effect, there's going to, it's, it's going to be a little slow, but I know that once January kicks into high gear and, you know, we start getting everything up and running, we are we're going to definitely start seeing a lot of fight cards take shape especially UFC 200 anyway i'm going to go through some of the other MMA news for the week and of course we're going to go into some wrestling on uh, the injury front i'm actually i was actually bummed to hear this but our world series of fighting 26 had a very very uh bit took a very big hit due to an injury sustained by Tyrone Spong that forced him out of the co-main event against Jake Hune. Now, Tyrone Spong, if you guys have watched uh, highlight videos of him or looked on YouTube, you'll see that this guy is a problem. And I was actually looking forward to see him fight, seeing him fight because I feel that Tyrone Spong is a guy that you can get in the UFC and people should really, you know, people would definitely take a liking to his ultra-aggressive style. Um, if, you, if you can... Uh, Slick, do me a solid. Um, go in, go on YouTube and find me a highlight reel for Tyrone Spong, T Y R O N E S P O N G. Uh, definitely share that in there so the guys can see what I'm talking about. 
But yeah, Tyrone Spong is injured. Uh, Jake Hewen will now be facing Clinton Williams on the preliminary card. And now the main event will only feature four fights. So there you have it. For those of you that do want to check it out, that card goes down December 18th. And you're going to be able to watch that on the NBC Sports Network. Another big news story that dropped this week was the possibility of Joe Rogan not re-signing with the UFC when his contract ends in August. Now, the thing about this, in, in, in my opinion, is that it's, it's a good tactic if Rogan was going that route to get more money. But the other thing is that it's an opportunity for Rogan to work on other projects. Not to say that Joe Rogan is the backbone of the UFC, but if you've noticed, there are other guys coming in, Kenny Florian, uh, Brian Stan, uh, just other fighters that are stepping up that are very, very solid on commentary. And I think that that's going to be one of those things where we may need to start transitioning out of the Joe Rogan or Mike Goldberg era and start looking at some of these other guys only because either they're going to get tired of... <laughs> very good, Jay Santee, very good. Jay Santee said, enter CM Punk. Stranger things have fucking happened. I, I'm 100% honest when I say it. Stranger things have happened. I mean, you know, CM Punk is scheduled to fight in 2016. You know, that's that's the idea. He's scheduled to fight in 2016. But, hey, you never, ever know. Well played, Jay. Well played. Honestly, Joe Rogan is probably the high point of a lot of UFC cards because when it comes to, you know, going through technique and talking us through certain areas of the sport. Joe Rogan does a stellar job. Don't get me wrong. Occasionally he is guilty of, of nut hugging for certain fighters and really, really going over the top with the hard sell. But the fact is that Joe Rogan is probably one of the best guys when it comes to breaking down mixed martial arts on a grand scale. The only other guy that I feel is as close to Joe Rogan with regards to breaking down technique is Frank Mir. Frank Mir is a is a very very solid commentator. Um, another guy I feel is is great is Mauro Ranallo, who does a lot of stuff with Pat Miletic. Um, those guys they they have a really great dynamic. Boss Rutten, of course, I wouldn't mind Boss and Mike Goldberg being the commentary team for the UFC. Boss Rutten is is an amazing personality, and I think he would be a guy whose energy would be able to replace Joe Rogan's if Joe Rogan were to not re-sign with the UFC. Now, as I was saying before when we were talking about Ronda's, uh, you know, Dana White saying that Ronda was tired, uh, you know, Dana White did an interview on Off the Record, and he said that Ronda Rousey told him she was exhausted prior to UFC 193. He said, and I quote, I've talked to her almost every day after the fight, and when she sat down with me and Lorenzo a few days ago, she said, I was exhausted going into that fight. I was exhausted mentally, physically, and emotionally. She had a lot of personal things going on, too, with her family. Once again, you are a promoter. Shut the fuck up. This is how you respond to that question. Oh, you know, Ronda... 
she we Rhonda and I we spoke. She spoke with Lorenzo and I, and um, you know she she gave us her thoughts going into the fight, and you know she felt she felt that she could have performed better, but obviously the the build up to the fight and all the extenuating circumstances, you know they they definitely take their toll on a fighter. Whether that was part of the reason why she lost or not, you know you can let Rhonda explain that, and that's it. That is it. Put the ball back in the fighter's court. You are not a manager. You are a promoter. Leave that shit to the fighters and the managers. Period. Val says Ronda's mom was telling her to fire that bum of a strike, striking coach. You know what's funny? What The fact that Ronda's mom was so vocal about Edmund Tarvedian's, um, you know, approach to training Ronda... It's 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 crazy, but it's one of those things where you look at it and you have to understand Rhonda's mom is going to do everything in her power to look after her daughter, both from a professional and a personal standpoint, whether she's right or wrong. These are things that are best settled behind closed doors, because what that ends up doing is it ends up creating a different, you know, a different vibe going into this fight. Was she right or wrong? About about saying saying what she said about about Ronda's coach, I don't I, I really can't tell you because I've only seen Edmund push Ronda. I mean he's trained some of the other four horsewomen, but I've only seen him involved directly with Ronda. And because of that, it's not like you know Greg Jackson and you know Jackson Winklejohn where you see those guys in the corners of numerous fighters or you know TriStar Jim with Faraz Zahabi. And you see him, you know, working with GSP, working with all those guys. And you understand that those guys, they have, you know, the, the, the right skill set for these fighters. Now, does that make Edmund, Edmund Tarvedian a bad coach? But the fact is, he's, he's a good coach. But I think Ronda needs more than him if she wants to get her belt back. She needs to get away from the yes men. And I and I've said this before. She needs to get away from you know the guys that are and 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 I hate to say it, riding her coattails, because that's what it feels like. She needs to get away from that, and we need to just go through you know the landscape of getting a dedicated camp, a, a bunch of different coaches, and rounding out your skill set. We know that your judo is amazing. We know this. We know that your judo is something that you don't need work on, but your your stand up your stand up is is ridiculous. It, it needs work, and you know it was funny. Uh, Jimbo Slice and I were talking about it, and you know he said you know a lot of MMA fighters don't know how to throw proper punches, and I thought about it, and it was funny because we were talking about like Chuck Liddell and some of these guys, and when you look back at those videos. And you look at a guy like Chuck Liddell and you see him throw a punch. You you realize that it's not it's not a clean, you know, boxing strike. It is an overhand right that any way it connects is putting you to sleep. And that's just, you know, natural ability amongst everything else. But to go with what Val said, you know, Ronda needs stand up like McGregor needs wrestling. And it's true. You, you can be the best at whatever discipline there is, but it's called mixed martial arts for a reason. And you need to be re- well-rounded across the board. 
GSP is a great example. GSP was, uh, you know, he had great stand-up, but out of nowhere, his wrestling just just became his bread and butter because he ended up just becoming such a natural at it that he was out wrestling a lot of established wrestlers in, in a lot of his matches. And, I mean, when he fought Josh Koscheck, it, it was, you know, he, he broke Josh Koscheck's orbital socket, but it wasn't like GSP was 100% flawless with his stand-up. It was just the fact that he knew how to work it just right to catch Josh Koscheck effectively. Now, in Ronda's case, that may need to be it. She may need to get a, a dedicated striking coach and keep Edmund as, as a secondary striking coach and create a program that's beneficial to you know complement her existing moveset. I don't know. I'm not a pro. But these are the types of things that people are going to debate a lot. For Dana White to go out there and give this entire laundry list of shit is a disservice to Ronda Rousey. Because what ends up happening is, oh, look, Daddy Dana making excuses for, for you know, for his gold, for his golden girl. And sure, you could say that, but if he would have kept his mouth shut or just been like, you know, me and Ronda, we have a really great personal relationship and, you know, I'm sure she, I you know, I was as devastated as and you know, as, as everyone else seeing that, especially because, you know, it was such a great fight going in that we didn't expect it to end the way it did. And that's it. Like, keep it vague, keep it generic and, and move on. Don't, don't put statement after statement after statement. Oh yeah. You know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, She was tired. She was worn out. Whatever the case may be. Don't do that. Don't. It does. It does more harm than good in the grand scheme of things. The other thing I wanted to mention was, you know, Ronda, Ronda, of course, has finally released a statement. As many of you know, after her loss to Holly Holm, she pretty much disappeared. You know, she hit her face when she walked through the airport, really fell off the grid. And, you know, she did an interview with ESPN magazine and um, she said, I'm really sad. It might be three to six months before I can eat an apple, let alone take an impact. That alone tells you the state that she's in physically not to mention the fact obviously that you have your suspension for you know your medical suspensions post fight so that's that's what the deal is there with regards to that with regards to her loss and this was this was actually a very very cool statement most people get scared away from having an opinion it's not so much my opinion everybody relates to it's that i don't care about being punished for it it's not my responsibility to make everything I say idiot proof. If a dumbass can't understand it, then I'm not going to spend my time putting everything I think into layman's terms. What she what she was implying is that, you know, you go in there, you have an opinion on how the fight's going to go. It is what it is. And you can look at the fight 17 different ways, but you got knocked the fuck out. How else am I going to explain it? And I, I really, I respect that because it's true. It's like, how did it feel? Or what was your first thought when you got up? Or how did it feel when you got home? Or when it sunk in that you weren't champion? Again, these are the stupid, cookie-cutter, bullshit questions that that fighters and athletes, they just get tired of hearing. And she could have reacted and said, you know, I fucking, I was pissed off. And, you know, this, I, I can't understand how this chick beat me. I, you know, I'm so much better than she is, whatever the case may be. But... 
the fact was she said it. She's like, whatever I'm going to say, it's, it's you know, it's not going to come out the way that it's meant to. And I don't want to explain it. And and seeing that and reading that, I said to myself, you know what? That's the best response she could have given. The fact is that she she went out there. She tried to perform as best as she could. And she was just not the better fighter. That's it. When asked about her eventual return, she said, maybe I can't do it all before my prime, before my body is done, but fuck it. Maybe I can. And she said, and, and you know, many people were quoting her on this. She's going to go in there for a rematch. And if she can't win, that may be it. That may be her last fight. And while I feel that her putting all her eggs in one basket, saying something like of that magnitude is strictly for theatricality to theatricality to sell the fight. Stranger things have happened. And with that, I'll say this, whether she goes out there and the rematch is as good as the first fight or whether she goes back there and wins and gets the title back at the end of the day, people are going to tune in because it is a compelling story. You have the champion, the former champion who was at the top of her food chain, movies, stardom, fame, you know, undefeated, a role model to countless girls across the world, you know, defeated by a humble, hardworking fighter from Albuquerque who knew Mexico, excuse me, from Albuquerque who knew Mexico, who strives to be just as good of a role model as Ronda was. And these are the type of things that, you know, really tell great stories. If Ronda Rousey fights Holly Holm, loses and retires, it's, it's just awesome to have been part of of, of the people that saw the meteoric rise of someone like Ronda and, you know, the, the meteoric rise of someone new. And like Jay just said, Ronda's going to take her talents to WWE. I'm 100% honest when I tell you that when Ronda lost that fight, even though, you know, Triple H was, was you know, upset about it and, and so were countless other wrestlers, there was a, there was a small inkling in his soul that said this might be the time to strike because you know that she's still a household name regardless of of how the fight went ronda is still ronda and she can still put asses in seats that's it look at brock lesnar brock lesnar went into the ufc went on a tear lost in devastating fashion was sidelined with diverticulitis came to the wwe Works uh, works a schedule that's the you know the equivalent of a, of a three day work week, and continues to be a compelling character that gets people's asses in seats. Simple as that. It is what it is. Now, will will Ronda's stock rise if she were to come back, win, and continue fighting? Sure, but let's be realistic. Ronda, if Ronda were to re- win her title back, there's a rematch that people will want to see, and the fight with Cyborg. That's really it. I'm honest when I say it. Nobody wants to see Ronda fight anyone else except a rematch with Holly Holm and a fight with Cyborg. Nobody wants to see her fight Misha Tate for the fifth time. Nobody wants to see her fight Kat Zingano or any of these other fighters. It just It just doesn't work. It's not a fight that's marketable in the way that a rematch with Holly Holm or if she were to defeat Holly Holm, a rematch for Holly Holm against Ronda or the Cyborg fight. Anything else at that point in her career 
is a waste. And if she retired or, you know, she, she left the sport, she's cultivated enough brand equity that she could go and do movies or take her talents to WWE and get a fat contract. All of that, all of those scenarios are still plausible. Now, is it a question of them being more so because she's the champion? That remains to be seen. But the fact is that it's going to be a very, very interesting couple of months. Will Holly Holm take another fight? Will Ronda fight Holly at UFC 200? Will Dana put the screws to Ronda to make her come back for that fight? We, of course, will be watching with much interest. Now, before I get into my fight picks for this week, many of you know that EA Sports UFC 2 currently has Ronda Rousey on the cover. What you may not know is that the winner of the Aldo McGregor fight will be the cover athlete for that game. This is the first time that the cover for the game will be decided by the victor of the fight, which is which is pretty cool. I mean, that's not it's a cover, nobody gives a shit, but it's kind of cool that winner with the winner of the fight gets the honor of being being cover athlete. Because yeah, you could pick this fighter or that fighter and people can go, "Oh, why'd you pick this guy or that guy?" Hey, winner gets the belt and gets the cover of the game. I mean, the cover of the game doesn't mean shit, but it's pretty fucking cool, you know, just to be just to be part of that. So, for those of you that are excited for this weekend's fight, know that the winner of Aldo McGregor will be on the cover of UFC 2 with Ronda Rousey. Very very cool indeed. All right. Let's shift gears. Let's get into some fight picks. I want to go into the card for this weekend. And um, the first card is going to be UFC Fight Night, which is on UFC Fight Pass, which sucks, but it is what it is. Unfortunately, you're you're gonna have to you're gonna have to have UFC Fight Pass to see this card. I am gonna pick out a couple of fights I want to give my picks on. Uh, John Howard is taking on Tim Means. I'm going to go with John Howard in this fight. Guy's very exciting, uh, very dangerous, and I think he's going to go in there and impress. Uh, Tiago Santos and Elias Diodoru, um, both guys are coming in with an 11-fight record, um, both 11 wins for each fighter and three losses for Tiago Santos. Um, I think when it comes to the slight one-inch reach advantage and um, the slight leg reach, I think I want to give it to Tiago Santos in the striking department, but Elias Teodoro has been known to surprise us on occasion. So against my better judgment, I'm going to go with Elias Teodoro in this case. We'll see if that is what transpires uh, this week. Of course, I'll be putting my fight picks on social media, Instagram and Facebook. So we'll be seeing that. Uh, Sage Northcutt, who of course everyone has been watching very carefully uh, part of the holy trinity of UFC fighters that Dana White loves, uh, right up there with Paige Van Zandt and Ronda Rousey. Sage Northcutt is going in against Cody Fister. Um, Cody Fister, of course, a veteran with, uh, with a 12-4 and record. Um, longer reach, but um, definitely a guy that some people are saying is a can for Sage Northcutt. I don't believe that's the case. I think he's a solid test. Uh, for the young for the young fighter, um, I think Northcutt, while 
is a fighter that has a lot of potential. I think that fighting veterans like this is going to really raise his stock. I don't think Cody Fister is a can in the least. Um, I do feel that Sage Northcutt is going to win this fight. I do. Um, I definitely feel that the guy's going to try and go out there for a highlight reel finish and, you know, give give the uh, Sports Center and ESPN highlight package a little bit of MMA for the week. We'll see what happens, but I, I got to go with Northcutt only because the guy's riding an incredible wage wave of momentum, uh, has really solid striking, moves incredibly fast, and um, I think he's going to try and go in there and blitz uh, Cody Fister at the at, at the opening bell and try and get him out of there quickly. Uh, Northcut is my pick. Now, on the co-main, uh, Jim Miller, Michael Chiesa. Uh, Michael Chiesa is definitely um, a very, very underrated and talented fighter that came out of um, a season of the ultimate fighter, but Jim Miller is just a tremendous, tremendous fighter. Uh, Jim Miller's ground game is insane. Uh, guy is a master of, of, of beautiful submissions. And I think that this fight is going to be decided more so on the feet than on the ground because both guys have a very solid ground game, but I'm going to definitely have to go with Jim Miller on this one. Now, the co- the main event was um, originally going to be uh, Paige Van Zandt and Joanne Calderwood. Of course, Calderwood got injured and Rose Namajunas stepped up. Uh, this is a great opportunity for both ladies. Um, a lot of people are saying that the winner of this fight is going to go on and challenge for the title. I think that both women pose very, very um, immediate threats to the title for different reasons. But when it comes to uh, overall aggressiveness, I got to go with Rose Namajunas. Uh, she's quiet, confident, and when she gets in that cage, she gets the job done. Uh, Paige Van Zandt, much like Sage Northcutt, is riding a riding a, a huge wave of momentum. Everybody loves her, you know, Reebok athlete, young, perky, cute, all the usual, uh, you know, descriptions are floating around when it comes to Paige Van Zandt. She's definitely more than just a pretty face, uh, extremely aggressive in the cage, and I think she's going to try and go out there and utilize that and try and overwhelm Rose Namajunas, but Rose Namajunas has um, a tremendous poker face, definitely calm and composed under pressure, and a very, very solid ground game. I think that if there's one thing to be said is that this fight definitely has the potential to give us a highlight reel in some capacity. Uh, when it comes to who is my pick for this fight, I'm going to go with with Thug Rose only because from a ground from a ground standpoint, she is uh, just an, a completely well-rounded fighter. Paige Van Zandt hasn't been tested on the ground. Uh, definitely more aggressive on the feet. I that's That's where I'm leaning. I am going with Rose. Uh, possibly going the distance or, well, I want to say either via submission or decision, I'm going to go with Rose Namajunas for Thursday night's UFC Fight Pass card. So there you have it. I'm sure that the picks will make their way to social media at some point tomorrow, so be on the lookout for that. In addition to that fight, we also have the Ultimate Fighter Team McGregor Team Faber finale 
on Friday, December 11th. Um, a lot of good fights on that card besides, obviously, the finals of the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, Tatsuya Kawajiri taking on Jason Knight. Um, I'm a big Kawajiri fan. Love watching that guy fight. He's a machine maniac when he gets in there. Guy comes in with a 34-8 and record. He's a beast. And um, he is my pick. As much as Jason Knight is a solid fighter, I'm going to give it to uh, Tatsuya Kawajiri for this fight. Another fight with a lot of fanfare, Joe Lazan taking on Evan Dunham. Both guys, veterans of the sport. Joe Lazan, of course, known for his uh, incredible amount, for, for the huge amount of fight bonuses that he has received. Will this be another fight for, uh, another fight bonus worthy card for Joe Lazan? It remains to be seen, uh, but I'm definitely going to go with Joe Lazan in this fight. I think that, again, solid stand up and amazing ground game. He's going to definitely try and use the stand up to take the fight to the ground and secure a submission on Evan Dunham. He is my pick going in. Edson Barboza and Tony Ferguson, that's a tough fight to call. Uh, both guys are tremendous, tremendous athletes. Um, Edson Barboza's definitely have, he definitely has a lot of great performances under his belt. Um, a lot of highlight, real worthy performances. Tony Ferguson can't, can't deny the guy, the guy's grit. Uh, he does not fuck around when he gets in there. I think that if anything, and, and it's a twist here, I think I'm going to go, I'm going to lean towards Tony Ferguson. Uh, just because he's got a bit more experience, and um, I just feel that Tony Ferguson just has the 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 cardio to go the distance against Edson Barboza. Now, of course, our main event of the evening: Frankie Edgar taking on Chad Mendez. Uh, this is definitely a fight that will be decided 100% on the feet, only because both guys have an incredible wrestling pedigree. But I think that when it comes to striking, I think Frankie Edgar has the upper hand. As much as Chad Mendez goes in there and has amazing cardio and great conditioning, I think that Frankie Edgar is definitely trying to make a statement at 145. And who knows, this victory may get him right in there to challenge the winner of Aldo McGregor. I would love that to be the case. I think Frankie Edgar and Conor McGregor are capable of selling an amazing fight. And I think that Jose Aldo and Frankie Edgar will give us just an amazing fight on screen. I think from a from a from a market from a marketing standpoint, McGregor and Edgar is just a stellar fight to have. But in terms of just watching a great display of mixed martial arts, Edgar and Aldo definitely cannot be beat. I'm going with Frankie Edgar on this one. I think that Frankie Edgar has better stand up, uh, harder knockout power, and is just a more durable fighter. We'll see what happens, but that's my picks for the Ultimate Fighter finale going down this Friday, December 11th. All right, the big one, last but not least, the UFC 194 Aldo McGregor card. I'm going to go through a couple of fights. I did want to go, I, I was going to go through the prelims, but I opted to not only because I want to stay within our, our 90-minute threshold I know I'm going to go over a little bit, but in any case, um, Uriah Faber will be main eventing the prelims. He's taking on Frankie Saenz. I think that Uriah Faber is going to take this fight. Uh, definitely do not root against Uriah Faber in these instances. I think that for a guy 
who's a veteran of the sport. He's still got a lot left in the tank and is still a force to be reckoned with at 135. Of course, everybody would love to see him and TJ Dillashaw square off. That may happen. Who knows? But I definitely feel Uriah Faber is taking this fight as it's the main event of the prelims that evening. Max Holloway, Jeremy, he little heathen Stevens, uh, like both fighters, uh, Jeremy Stevens definitely is an exciting fighter to watch, but Max Holloway has been on a tear lately. Um, as much as I don't want to do it, I am going against Jeremy Stevens and picking Matt Max Holloway for this fight. Damian Maya and Gunnar Nelson, as much as I feel that Damian Maya's Brazilian jiu-jitsu is out of this world, it's a matter of finding a way to get him to the ground, and Gunnar Nelson is definitely a dangerous guy. Um, I think I'm going to give it to Gunnar Nelson only because I feel that he has better punching power and is going to use uh, a little bit, a little bit more of his size advantage to not get taken down. But again, Damian Maya's jujitsu can't be ignored. But I'm going to go with Gunnar Nelson this time around. At 185, we are looking at a fight that has the potential to be a number one contender's bout that will most likely lead to the winner facing the winner of Weidman and Rockhold. Uh, Ronaldo Jacare Souza will be facing Yoel Romero. Uh, Yoel Romero is a guy that Ben and I have discussed at length in numerous shows, and we said that a fight between him and Jacare has all the makings of an exciting fight from bell to bell. I definitely continue to stand by that statement, but when it comes to technique and overall development, I feel that Jacare has become just a more complete fighter. He is a not only uh, a great Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner, but has shown tremendous development in his stand-up. Because of that, I am going to go with Jacare getting the win for this fight. Now, of course, the winner will more, will more than likely face the winner of Weidman and Rockhold. And as much as I feel Luke Rockhold has a complete toolkit to take the belt from Chris Weidman, I cannot root against one of our own, um, a fellow New Yorker, uh, actually representing Long Island out of out of New York here. And um, the guy, the guy's a great ambassador for the sport, has a tremendous story, uh, thirteen and zero record, which is something the UFC does nothing with. And I think that this is going to be a great opportunity for Weidman to shut up a lot of the critics that say that, you know, he got lucky in, in his previous outings and he's facing a healthy, dangerous, and to some, the odds on favorite to, to beat him in Luke Rockhold. And, and like I said, Luke Rockhold, if he was fighting anyone else, I'd probably give it to Luke Rockhold, but I'm going Chris Weidman this route. Uh, feel that Weidman is, is going to do what he's going to do. And after the destruction of Vitor, which Val uh, was so gracious to remind me of, I definitely feel that Weidman's going to go out there and try to make a statement. I think this is a fight that has the potential to end and in either on the feet or on the ground in the blink of an eye. Like I said, both guys are incredibly agile, athletic, and fast. And above all, I think both guys, um, they, they negate a lot of skills that make each fighter better than some of their opponents. Um, you know, it, 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 it is what it is. Like Val just said, Luke Rockhold is good, but he did get knocked out by Vitor, TRT or no. 
And that's true. You can't ignore that. I think Weidman definitely has the tools, both wrestling and stand-up, to be a problem for Rockhold. But Rockhold is just so well-rounded that it's it's a fight that can go either way. But like I said, I can't can't go against a, a New Yorker. I got to go Weidman for this one. Now, Jose Aldo and Conor McGregor. This is the big one. This is the one that everybody's been waiting for. And I like Conor McGregor. I think Conor McGregor is is great for the sport. He really is. He knows how to sell fights. He's outspoken. He's brash. He's cocky. He knows what to do to get people talking, and that's great. But the Chad Mendes fight showed me that even though he has some amazing striking, his wrestling and ground game is still is still in development, and above all, is something that really has not been tested. With Jose Aldo, you're looking at a guy with a 25-1 and record. The guy is a machine. The guy hasn't lost in years. Above all that, the guy can not only get the job done on the feet, but has the tools to get the job done on the ground. And as much as I like Conor McGregor and as much as he entertains me both in the cage and outside of the cage with his exploits, I'm going to go Jose Aldo. You know, that's that I'm being, you know, and people are probably like, damn, dude, you know, you like Conor McGregor, you ride with the dude. I do. I feel Conor McGregor is exciting, uh, does a lot for the sport, is capable of being a huge star. But the fact is that I'm going to go Jose Aldo. You know, Jose Aldo's taking his training to another level. This fight is a little bit more personal. And at the end of the day, it's really all about pride and all about being the toughest guy in the division. And as much as I like Conor McGregor, again, the interim title was a gift. That was given to him by Dana White. There is one champion, and that guy is Jose Aldo, period. People are like, oh, Conor McGregor's got the belt. and but No, he doesn't. Conor McGregor has a paperweight. That's what he has. He has a paperweight. I know that he doesn't like hearing it and people don't like hearing that, but Jose Aldo is the champion. In the words of the immortal Ric Flair, to beat the man, to be the man, you have to beat the man. Period. And this is it. He's got to beat him. You got to beat Jose Aldo. Not leave it in the hands of the judges either. Has to be decisive. That's the that's the only way that you'll get Jose Aldo's respect. And people will recognize you as the real deal. Because I'm sorry, beating Dennis Seaver did did you're, doesn't make you the real deal. Beating Chad Mendez on like two weeks' notice, while it was a fun fight, doesn't make you the real deal. Beating a guy who is a legend, a first ballot Hall of Famer, is what's going to make you the real deal. That's what's going to make you the man. And of course. Many people are saying that McGregor is contemplating making the jump to 155 and try and win a belt in that division. There's a couple of scenarios. If he beats Jose Aldo, of course, an Aldo rematch is a must. But there's always the possibility of him wanting to make a run at 155, either fighting in that division or having a super fight. And that's something that you cannot ignore either. If there's one guy that has the potential to talk enough shit to get us a super fight, 
it's Conor McGregor. I'm serious. If there's anybody that can get us a super fight at 150, 155 and 145, it's McGregor. He'll be the guy that'll, that'll be a pain in Dana's ass and we will get a super fight. Especially if it, if Donald Cerrone wins that belt, you know that that's what we're going to angle towards a super fight. And fuck, it'll be, it'll be tremendous any way you slice it. In any case, Jose Aldo is my pick for UFC 194. I know I'm going to get a lot of shit for it, but it's, it's a different league, man. Fighting Jose Aldo is a different league. If, if you want, slick, if you can, uh, find the highlights of Jose Aldo versus Uriah Faber. That's all I got to tell you. Watch that fight. And Uriah Faber is a fucking beast, too. But watch that fight, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Anyway, with that, that is going to wrap up my fights, my fight picks for this week's cards, starting with uh, the card this Thursday, uh, the Ultimate Fighter finale on Friday, and, of course, last but not least, UFC 194 this Saturday. As always, if you want to discuss it, got any questions, feel free to hit us up on social media. Always love to talk MMA with the fans, but I'll be watching these fights very very closely all right that's going to close the door on this week's mma segment let's get into some wrestling booker t what time is it we want the gold sucker hulk hogan we're coming for you nigga Man, oh man, I, I, I step away for a couple of weeks and wrestling just goes to the fucking toilet. I hate to say it, and I got a couple of things first that I'm going to say before we break this down. When I took my, my hiatus in November, I consciously stopped watching Raw Live after seeing the Raw that Monday. I, I just I just couldn't I could not sit through it. Either the segments were shit, the wrestling was ridiculous, or just the angle advancement overall did not deliver at all. I consciously stopped watching it live. What I ended up doing was watching NXT, Ring of Honor, trying to get in as much Ring of Honor as I could before they moved to a network that I don't fucking have. And I even started watching a little TNA. And I started re-watching uh, some Lucha Underground and clearing out some New Japan uh, episodes I had on my DVR. And this is this is why the the departure the in, the loss of Seth Rollins was a huge blow to the WWE. Even though they did this tournament and you know we crowned the new champion with Lamis and. Um, you know, he got himself a little a little goon squad. We're going to get into that. The thing is that the loss of Seth Rollins, Daniel Bryan, even Sami Zayn, uh, Randy Orton, love him or hate him, and John Cena has really, really taken its toll, not only on the roster that's on Raw, but on the product in general. And the easiest and the easiest thing to say is, oh, well, you know, creative has been fucking it up, too. Yes, 
creative has definitely dropped the ball in on numerous occasions. But the fact is that creative and management have not done anything to create viable stars to fill those voids. Now, of course, everybody says, yeah, but the wrestlers need to step up. Yeah, you can only go out there and have so many five-star matches before creative decides to do something with you. Case in point, Cesaro. Cesaro ripped out his shoulder, but before he got injured, Cesaro was having consistently great matches every fucking week with every guy that he was in there with. Period. I hate to say it, but he was. He was in there having stellar matches with all these guys and delivering from bell to bell. The guy sacrificed himself, hurt himself in the process, and got nothing for it. No IC title, no US title, no no opportunity at a title, nothing. You know, that's 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 pretty much it. There nothing was gained in that instance. Now, a lot of people on social media are quick to jump on the Roman Reigns hate train. And I'm going to say this. Roman Reigns is but a cog in a large machine. In the fact, in the sense that Roman Reigns goes out there, does a job, tries to tell a story, and he's not, he's not good. He's not good at it. But he's the guy that they want. He's the guy that they feel will lead us into the new millennium of, wrestl- of wrestling for WWE. I disagree. And everybody's like, oh, well, you know, it's Roman's fault that nobody's watching Raw. No, it's not Roman's fault. It's creative's fault that you're not watching Raw. Because they've done nothing to make you give a shit about the guys that are left. Like Jay says, you can't tell a story with a shitload of wrestlers in five-minute matches. You know? You can't. You can't do it. And 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 I'm particularly annoyed by the fact that Jay can't call in to discuss this because in all honesty, this is shit that needs to be addressed. And the ratings are a clear case of that. You know, people are like, Oh, well, you know, Raw's been competing against Monday night football. Raw's been competing against the, you know, X, Y, Z. I'm going to tell you what Raw's been competing against. Raw's been competing against episode against itself when it was actually good. That's what Raw's competing against. Raw's competing against itself when it had a roster of great guys. When you had Daniel Bryan, when you still had the Shield, when you were when you know John Cena was doing the U.S. Open Challenge, when Kevin Owens was coming out there having awesome matches, when Sami Zayn answered the U.S. Open Challenge. That's that's when shit was legit. When AJ Lee was going out there and having decent matches with Paige. That was the start. Seriously. When, when, and as much as people say it, when, when CM Punk dropped the pipe bomb, that those were things that made you want to tune in. We are not getting those moments. We're not. We're not. We're not getting them. It's like, let me tell you, this week's episode of Raw had a couple of moments that were genuinely good, and I will get into them. But at the end of the day, it didn't even feel like the final Raw before a pay-per-view. 
It did not. It felt like a typical episode of Raw. And I think that this goes back to something that Jay and I have said before. It's the fact that there is a, there's a huge disconnect between creative for NXT, which had guys like Dusty Rhodes and, and you know, real wrestlers in creative, and what you have on Raw. Which, as a matter of fact, Jay just said, he's like, we need wrestlers to work creative, good creative wrestlers. Al Snow, Mick Foley, Bubba Ray, Lance Storm. It's true. But the other thing is that if you're going to have, and, and this is this is where where I give, you know, I, I give my take on it. No pun intended this time. You need, you, you need your soap opera writers. And that's fine because you need guys that's, that can script compelling television. But what needs to be done is you need to have at least at minimum two wrestling members of creative and three writers. That's a five-man team. That team writes the episode of Raw for the week, which then goes to Triple H, who adds whatever adjustments need to be made, and then, of course, it goes to Vince. And if Vince is going to rewrite it, let him rewrite it. But the fact is that you're not he's not going to take everything out. And this is what I'm saying. You need to ensure that there's a level of creative control that not only comes from the guys that want to tell the compelling story, but that's also coming from the guys that have lived this life. It's it's like the 10,000-hour rule. People say that in order for you to be good at something, you need to have done it. You know, you need there needs to have been at least 10,000 hours invested into it. And yes, you have writers that have been writing WWE for quite some time. But the only thing that they have under their 10,000-hour belt is the fact that they can tell compelling storylines in a soap opera fashion. But when it comes to telling stories that involve physical theater, you're not going to get anything better than having wrestlers directly involved. You know? You do... You know? It, it's It's crazy. You only need, at minimum, five. Two wrestlers and three writers. And, of course, Triple H and, and Vince. That's all you need. You need the equivalent of a writer's room that is small, contained, and, and works well. You need to find out why is it that NXT can tell a more compelling story in 60 minutes than a raw, than your flagship show can tell in three hours. That's a big fucking problem. And like I said, you can blame Roman Reigns, you can blame Sheamus, and sure, they are factors in the fact that people don't want to see those guys, so they'd rather turn the channel, but as I've said, they are cogs in a machine. They are employees that are going out there to do a job. That's it. And that's that's the problem. That is the problem. People automatically are jumping on board. I corrected one, a couple of dudes on Facebook. Ah, oh, you know, fucking Roman Reigns. It's not Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns punches a clock like everybody else. He comes in, hey, what am I doing today? Oh, well, you're going to work a match with Dean Ambrose against Sheamus and Rusev. Okay, fine. Hey, Roman, you're going to cut two promos, and you know that they're not going to tell him to just wing it, so they're going to give him bullet points for his promo. Hell, they may even give him the promo for him to, to memorize it. You can see that stuff. You know who's writing a particular episode of Raw 
strictly on the premise that it's going to have better mic, better story or better or better mic work. And I hate to say it, but you can't blame the wrestlers completely. You can't. These guys punch a clock and and have and and do a job. Jay says Roman is actually saving the product. Yeah, he is, believe it or not. And and it's funny because Roman is filling a void. He's filling the John Cena void. Love him or hate him, he he was given a job. He goes you know, Vince is like, Roman, John's out filming a reality show. Randy Orton, you know, sprained his, his neck, putting the garbage out. We need you to step up. All right, cool. I'm going to step up. Believe that. And that's it. Guy goes out there, does his job, and that's it. It's like Jim Ross has said in countless blogs. The, the departure or the injury of a wrestler creates an opportunity for you to grab that brass ring. What you do with that brass ring and how creative leverages that bla- that brass ring are two separate things. Because like I said, grabbing, you know, Cesaro, when it comes to wrestling, he grabbed the brass ring and creative noticed. But when it came time to put him in a compelling storyline, the shit didn't happen. You know what we got? Him and Stardust staring at each other every week. Or Stardust holding up a Cesaro section sign. That's all we got out of that entire, that in, out of Cesaro's three month run. The most we got was him possibly feuding with Stardust. Think about this. This is a guy that went out there and had amazing matches with John Cena, Kevin Owens, Seth Rollins, you know, hell, Roman Reigns. The list goes on and on. And the most meaningful thing that we can get from that program was the possibility that he was going to feud with Stardust. Nothing was gained from that. Nothing. And then the guy gets injured, he's on the shelf, and you got nothing to show for it. Here's here's where I'm going to get a little, I'm going to go into some armchair booking. This is what we got to do. You form the League of Nations. They are your premier faction. As I've said before, the League of Nations needs to capture... I, I said this on Twitter to the guys from Busted Open Radio. The League of Nations needs to capture all the belts. Period. You need to make Paige part of the group. Period. And what you end up doing is you take those guys and you have them not rely on the authority. In other words, Seamus, the authority's like, oh, Seamus, you know, we want you to go out there and put your belt on the line against you know, Rollins when he comes back. And Sheamus can just as easily turn around and go, no. And they can say, oh, what do you mean, no? You know, we we got you here. And he can say, yeah, but we have all the titles. We have all the power. We make the rules. And in doing that, you make the League of Nations something more than Sheamus and his authority-led goon squad. Exactly. Rise of the Villains, WWE style. 100% right, Jay. There's, you know, because what happens is you've gone through the trouble of giving Sheamus the belt and you're making, you know, Barrett and Rusev relevant and you're doing actually something with Alberto Del Rio. But if you're going to have these guys go out there and get their asses handed to them by Roman Reigns in one night, all of them, you're accomplishing nothing, nothing, because it's no different than when John Cena beat the entire Nexus. You guys remember that. That damaged those guys completely. 
It was useless. The only time that that never happened was with the shield because it just it just would have looked stupid for for a guy to go out there and dismantle three premier athletes. Much less in this instance four. Seriously, doesn't make any sense. You need to take the League of Nations and make them exactly that. Which leads me into what happened with Raw this week. League of Nations comes out, they cut their promo, talking about that they're the most dominant, you know, best of the best of the best wrestlers in the business. Lights go out, Wyatt family comes out. Whether you've loved or hated the product, that was a markout moment. Seeing the Wyatts come out and seeing them face off against the League of Nations was a markout moment. It didn't matter whether it was heels or faces, it was huge. It was like, oh shit. This is where we're going, and it's stuff like that that we need to see more of. We need to see the Wyatts mix it up with everybody. We need to see that. And to have them come out as they should, I said to myself, well, damn, Raw's actually starting off quite decent. And then, of course, you know, you got the Dudley Boys and Team Extreme show up, and you got, you know, Roman Reigns and the family show up. And we knew where it was going. We knew it was going to be this this giant match. And, of course, the, 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 the reveal of Rhino was pretty cool. But the fact is that these are the things that when you look at it, you're like, wow, this is pretty badass. Because the Wyatt family have been too busy feuding with everybody that people didn't understand that they are agents of chaos and destruction. They, should, they could feud with anybody at a moment's notice. And that's important that is a crucial thing that you cannot ignore i'm serious can't ignore it because it is essential in the grand scheme of things essential but people people don't they don't they don't keep track of that stuff because they feel that oh well you know roman reigns and sheamus are going to have their fifth match this week and yeah i understand that that's something that's going to raise a few eyebrows but the fact is that seeing those factions in the ring at the same time really showed that if they applied themselves and they did something worthwhile, they could give us something really, really, really good. I'm serious. We could get some compelling television if they just took a moment and said, yeah, we don't need to just have the League of Nations fighting Roman Reigns and his guys. They could, you know, the Wyatts should be in the mix, period. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. A good narrative, good wrestlers involved, and you could have a lot of fun with that. It goes back to the days when there was the Los Boricuas, the Disciples of Apocalypse, uh, the Nation of Domination, uh, the Corporation, and all these factions were feuding, and it was just crazy television every week. Crazy television, and yeah, that's dipping into the Attitude Era pool, but again, you have so many compelling characters at your disposal and you couldn't leverage that past the, the multi-man tag match at the start of the show. Such a great moment that could have been a lot better. That's all I'm saying. Match itself was pretty good. I actually liked it. I thought there were a lot of good spots. Uh, it got a little disjointed towards the end, but it was, it was, it was pretty good. Ziggler's match with Owens was exactly what you would expect. Kevin Owens 
delivering a solid match. Dolph Ziggler bumping like a madman to make him look good. Of course, this was all leading into the match between Owens and Ambrose at the pay-per-view this weekend. Again, pretty solid. No problem there with that. Um, Team Bad taking on Brie Bella and Alicia Fox. Just a... uh, It's uh, a misuse of Sasha Banks again. You got Sasha Banks in the mix, not being able to to step aside. You know, the the unity push and all this stuff. It, It annoys me only because... It's Naomi's not able to perform at her potential and Tamina's Tamina and you're going out there and trying to have a match with Brie Bella and Alicia Fox who in terms of skill level are not in the same league. That's not to say that the match was terrible by any stretch of the imagination but again you're not utilizing Sasha as best as you could. On the contrary it almost feels like she's she's stuck and Naomi and Tamina are holding her down. You take a woman who had a tremendous Iron Man match in NXT with Bailey, who has existing history with Charlotte, who has an ama- who had an amazing match with Becky Lynch and you're too busy throwing her into, you know, throwaway matches with Brie Bella of all people and Alicia Fox. You know, it's it, it's crazy. It is it is crazy that these guys are coming up from NXT and they really are getting lost in the shuffle. Sasha is a true example of that. Now, the end of the match saw a, an awesome interaction between Team Bad and the New Day. I think that that was kind of cool. Um, I think that if you wanted to do something interesting, you could align Team Bad with the New Day. I think there's a lot of great potential there. A lot of awesome backstage segments in the making, especially because of the the camaraderie and, you know, rivalry between both factions. You can have a lot of fun with that. You can create some really good backstage segments and at least add a little something to Team Bad other than angry black chicks. Because that's really what they're going with. The generic angry you know angry black chick stereotype which i say this and it goes into something jtg said recently in an interview where you know it's easier to create an african-american antagonist to be dethroned by the champion instead of you know creating a narrative where you have an an african-american you know hero and you know we we've talked about race when it comes to wrestling but at least in this instance, you do something more than, like I said, have Team Bad just be angry black chicks. Doesn't work. I think doing something more, more, more involved with the New Day is a step in the right direction. Is is it going to be a one and done? Who knows? But I definitely would love to see more. That's for damn sure. Now. New Day and the Lucha Dragons was exactly what you would expect. Just a filler match for the obvious uh, buildup for this weekend's TL uh, ladder match, which, again, can go anyway. There's a lot of great teams involved, and I think it's something that you know I'll address later on in the segment, but it really was a throwaway match. As for Miz TV, we know that they we're going with the Charlotte heel turn. We know it. We see it. 
we you know you can't you can't even you can't even turn a blind eye and say ah eh, it's just Charlotte being a flare. The heel turn is fucking imminent, imminent, and and with that, I don't mind, but I feel it's too soon to turn Charlotte. You already have Paige. You already have Team Bad. You essentially have most of the Bellas. Why would you turn Charlotte at this point? To give us one or two good matches with Becky Lynch, you're shooting yourselves in the fucking foot. She could still be the dirtiest player in the game and be a face. No necessity to turn her. The women's division is a void right now when it comes to faces. It really is. What do you got? Natalia, Becky Lynch, maybe, Charlotte, you know? It, it, it's one of those things where if you're going to have a quote-unquote face, you might as well keep your champion a face. Because what are you going to do at that point? Everyone's a heel? Jay says all women are mean by nature. It, but that's, but I understand, and you know, it's a, it's a funny way of looking at it, and all women can be heels. I Here's the thing. In the dynamic of people that need to be cheered and need to be booed, you need to have a healthy balance. And even though, yes, all women can be heels, you need somebody to fucking cheer. Who are you going to cheer? Becky? If you ju- What's it going to be, Becky versus everyone at that point? Because you need that. Seriously. Yeah, all women can be heels. All women can be mean, and that's great. But if you're still trying to reinforce a face heel dynamic and the majority of your of your division are all heels, that's not good. Because what are you going to do? Have the heels face each other? Yeah, that's cool. You could do that. But the faces are the faces. And you're not doing anything to move that forward. This goes back to what I said about creating new stars. Where's Natalia in this mix? Yeah, we understand Tyson Kidd is injured, but... Where is she? Why isn't she involved? You know? Why not? Why does Alicia Fox still need to be aligned with Brie Bella when Alicia Fox can go on her own and Brie Bella can go on her own? There's no necessity to keep Team Bella because Nikki's not there. Jay says they don't care about the division. The women seem to run their own show. Pretty much. It pains me to say it, but I'm curious to see out of the 25 people that are involved in writing Raw, who is booking the women's division on the main roster? I'd love to know. Jay, do you happen to know who's booking the women's division? By all means, please share. Because the way I see it, there's, you know, you're, it, it's a, you call all these women up, you, you usher in this divas revolution, and nothing revolutionary has really happened i'm serious it's like oh divas revolution divas revolution buzzword buzzword what has happened nothing nothing revolutionary has happened i hate to say it but it's true nothing revolutionary has fucking happened that's it (laughs) simple as that anyway ryback took on rusev it was what it was you know a uh, pretty decent match, but Ryback, Rusev hasn't reached the level where he can carry Ryback in a match, and Ryback is still developing. 
the Stardust Jack Swagger match was okay, but the real, the really awesome development was the fact that they're separating Del Rio from uh, Zeb Coulter, which I thought was great. I thought that Del Rio throwing, you know, throwing the stuff at Zeb Coulter as he rode away on the scooter was hilarious. I thought it was it was completely silly to see that because I think that even WWE realized that Zeb Coulter with Del Rio accomplished nothing. Del Rio doesn't need a mouthpiece. Del Rio's good on the mic, capable of delivering a cohesive and coherent promo, doesn't need Zeb Coulter. Doesn't. You know who needs Zeb Coulter? Jack Swagger. Why? Because that motherfucker can't cut a promo to save his life. And since everybody's aboard the Trump bandwagon, it's a good time to start putting out all that crazy we the people shit that they were doing before. They did it before. It worked. People liked it. If it's not broke, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, you know? Go that route. Instead, no, you 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 throw Del Rio in there with Swagger as the, I mean, with uh, Coulter, just to obviously set up this throwaway match for Sunday, but... I think Del Rio just works better on his own or if he had Ricardo Rodriguez. Otherwise, it, it, it does him more harm than good. Again, Del Rio's good on the mic, gets the job done in the ring. Zeb Coulter, it, it's a good placeholder, but it's something that we knew could not last. Simple as that. Tommy Dreamer and Braun Strowman was exactly what you would expect. Fucking boring-ass squash match. Um, the, the ending of, of raw was exactly what you would expect leading into a TLC event. Um, I had no problem with it. I thought it was, I thought it was pretty solid, but at the end of the day, I, you know, it, it was exactly what you would expect. It was a, it was the post the pay-per-view before raw. I mean the pay-per-view before TLC and it, it definitely did the job, but you know, the, the product itself has become so stagnant that, it, it you know, it's a wash, rinse, and repeat narrative where you're either going to give a shit about it or you're not. Now, with that, I do want to talk about the um, the matches for TLC. Give my picks. Uh, Del Rio and Jack Swagger is scheduled to be a chairs match. Uh, definitely going with Del Rio for the United States Championship. And I think that is also going to be the opportunity where Del Rio is going to be beating Jack Swagger senseless with the chairs and Zeb Coulter is going to get involved and try to stop it. And Zeb Coulter will eat a chair shot as well, thus severing that partnership completely and allowing Del Rio to continue his work with the League of Nations. Uh, Team ECW, the Dudley Boys, Tommy Dreamer, and Rhino taking on the Wyatt family has the potential to be a violent, violent affair. Uh, it's going to be in a tag team elimination tables match. I think the match is going to be fun. I think that there's going to be just reckless violence. And I think it's a good environment for guys like Braun Strowman who aren't really that good. I, I'll be honest, Braun Strowman is cool in terms of how he looks, but I just don't see him being that guy for you know, a, a technical guy. So this match definitely in his wheelhouse. Same thing for Eric Rowan. I don't think Eric Rowan is that good of a wrestler, but a match like this can definitely hide those flaws. Um, 
If it comes down to it, I I would like to see the Wyatt family win only because I think that there's actually ample ample feud. There's ample feud, there's ample matches that can be done after this match to extend that feud, but I think you definitely have to give it to the Wyatt family. I'm tired of the Wyatts being put in these great feuds and being on the losing end. Team ECW losing doesn't hurt anyone. On the contrary, it just allows the Dudley boys to swap out guys like Tommy Dreamer and Rhino and bring in different ECW originals or even bring those guys up to the main roster for a little bit to fill that void. Uh, The Wyatt family is my pick for this match. Jay says the return of Ricardo Rodriguez. Dude, I would love it. I think Ricardo Rodriguez is a is a solid wrestler, and I think he complimented Del Rio well without distracting from his gimmick. Simple as that. The Divas match with Charlotte with Ric Flair in her corner against Paige is probably going to end with Charlotte winning the match, probably via you know nefarious means. Maybe Becky Lynch comes out, gets annoyed about it, and we get the full Charlotte heel turn with Paige saying, see, I told you so. And um, I think I think that's the direction that's going to go in. Uh, Jay writes, we want Spike. I agree. I, I, I really would have loved to have seen Spike Dudley be part of this match only because, you uh, you know, uh, part of the uh, tables match because, you know, that that would have ended with Spike Dudley probably getting killed by someone. But Tommy Dreamer and Rhino definitely fit the bill. That's for sure. The triple threat tag team ladder match for the tag team titles has the New Day, the Usos, and the Lucha Dragons involved. As much as I feel that it would be a great opportunity to let the Lucha Dragons win the belts, I think that the right move would be to keep the belts on the New Day. I think the New Day are have an incredible dynamic, and it's good to have guys like the Usos and the Lucha Dragons continue to chase uh, it creates some compelling television and some good storytelling. I think that if you're going to lose the titles, if you're going to take the titles off the New Day and put them back on anyone, as much as I would like it to be the Lucha Dragons, I think that you know it's better. It's better served if it went to anyone. It would be the Usos. But my picks in this instance are for the New Day to retain at TLC. The IC title match between Kevin Owens and Dean Ambrose. I'm shocked that there was no stipulation there, but I think that this rivalry is really, really picking up steam, and I think that letting them have a straight match would would be fine, and I honestly think that you can give Ambrose the IC title, but not yet. I think Kevin Owens should continue to be champion. It allows not only guys like Ambrose to chase, but it allows him to have really, really good, compelling matches. So, with that said, I am going to say that Kevin Owens is going to retain at TLC. Last but not least, TLC ladder match for the WWE World Heavyweight title with Sheamus and Roman Reigns. Obviously, there's going to be no disqualification. There's going to be plenty of involvement. Expect to see... um, a lot of interference from the League of Nations leading to Sheamus retaining the title at this point. I think that when Roman Reigns does win the belt, it's going to be at a bigger pay-per-view. Maybe maybe the Rumble, but if you want to do the whole feel-good story, you're going to want to do it at WrestleMania. So with that, 
I see Sheamus walking away with the title at TLC with plenty of assistance from the League of Nations. There you have it. All right, those are my picks for WWE TLC. I want to just get into some wrestling news, and we are going to wrap up the show for tonight. Uh, As I mentioned um, earlier in the segment, JTG did an interview recently with the World According to Wrestling, and he said a couple of different things with regards to the glass ceiling race, and he also shared his thoughts on on what Hulk Hogan said about African Americans. First things first, I want to share what he said about the glass ceiling in professional wrestling. He said, and I quote, "Uh, for certain superstars, there is definitely a glass ceiling. Let's use Zack Ryder as an example. It doesn't matter if the crowd is on your side. If they don't approve of you, if they don't put the machine behind you, then they're not going to follow through with it. They handpick their stars. We, none of us, especially if we're seasoned wrestling fans, are going to disagree with that statement. Zack Ryder was at the top of the food chain, got his gimmick over on his own, and because it wasn't manufactured by creative or whatever, nobody did anything with it, which is unfortunate because guys like Zack Ryder that go out there and do the grassroots campaign to become um, you know, fan favorites, they're doing it right. They're actually making the job easier for creative because it's like, damn, we don't got to worry about getting this guy cheered because he's already doing a badass job with that. Let's get him into something meaningful that can, that we can take advantage of that. Let's convert those cheers into dollars. I'm serious. You know, when they were putting out the Zack Ryder uh, sweatbands and the, and the, and the, you know, the, the broski fists and all that stuff, you should have been leveraging that at the end of the day. You want an hour, you know, your ROI, your return on investment. And if you and if you're paying a guy like Zack Ryder and he's doing the bulk of the work for you, then you should leverage that. Like I said, time to convert those cheers and boos into dollars and cents. And with Zack Ryder, they dropped the fucking ball. They did nothing to convert. On the contrary, they just put their foot on his neck and choked him to death. And then just slowly but surely phased them out to where he's, you know, running buddies with Mojo Raleigh on NXT. This is a guy who was involved in some high-profile feuds and some high-profile matches, but he's too busy trying to get over uh, bootleg Michael Rappaport on NXT. And again, I understand why they did it, and the dynamic between those guys is good, but you still misused and mismanaged something so easy as the Zack Ryder push that it boggles my mind that the guy didn't fucking quit. I'm shocked. He was over. He had an over gimmick. The crowd was invested. You could have converted that for, 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 for money, and you didn't. You felt that since he created his own gimmick, he got himself over that he essentially spit in the face of creative. I'm, I'm serious. That's, that's more so what I feel went down anyway with regards to race this goes back to what i said before he said and i quote i definitely believe so just due to the history the results you know all of the superstars that have been identified as african-americans have been identified as black i've never seen them as the face of the company or as heavyweight champion i've seen it in other companies like tna and wcw but in the wwe still there hasn't been a black face or a champion. Now, of course, 
as I've said before, you can talk about The Rock, but I understand what he's saying, and I agree. I've said this before. Mark Henry was was primed and ready to be that guy, and they didn't pull the trigger. Booker T kind of was that guy, but it was it was kind of by force. Booker T was at a point where it's like, fuck, we got to make this guy champ. And again, he was world heavyweight champion, not WWE champion. Simple. Simple as that. Now, with the current crop of performers in the, in the WWE, if I had to talk about anyone that is a breakout star, an African-American athlete, it's got to be Big E. He has got the look. He's entertaining. He's good on the mic. That's a guy that you can groom to be the face of your company. Like this. Another guy, Xavier Woods. Even though, you know, he's been on the show, we're friends with him. He's entertaining. He's smart. Great comedic timing. His wrestling is solid. That's another guy. There's a rumor that WWE is scouting Jay Lethal. Jay Lethal is another guy. Great wrestler. Solid mic work. Entertaining is all hell. Another guy you can get behind. You know, another one. Apollo Crews has all the tools, all of them. He's got the look. His wrestling is solid. His mic work is good. That is a guy, if if, if it came down to Apollo Crews and Big E as guys that they were looking at for champions, either one of those guys has the tools. Has them. Like I said, solid mic work, good wrestling, connect with the audience. Those guys deliver. Like Jay just said, Woods is tailor tailor made a tailor made guy for champion for for championships, and it's true. Xavier Woods is a solid performer. <coughs> Excuse me. And to see him, he's not underutilized in the new day, but the fact that nobody looks at him for anything else. Is sad. Last but not least. With regards to Hulk Hogan, he said, what Hulk Hogan did was very disappointing. He was one of my biggest childhood heroes in the 80s. And to hear him say that we're all a little racist, you've pretty much sealed your own fate. Can't disagree. I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. It's disappointing. I know that he's a loving guy and he's very positive. I've met Hogan probably two or three times and he's already, and he always had good spirits about him. But racism has nothing to do with loving or hating somebody. It's a mindset that you are superior to the other race. There you go. One other one other little anecdote I wanted to add was when asked about the representations of race, and this is what I was saying with regards to Team Bad. He said, that's how wrestling has always been, and I hope it changes real soon. They usually bring them in as a heel, as a monster for the white champion to overcome. You know Umaga, he was fed to John Cena. Same thing with Kamala in the 80s, he was fed to Hulk Hogan. Nine times out of ten, they make the angry black man the quote-unquote savage, just to be fed to the champion. It's an obstacle, and he's going to win. Now, looking at that from a, from a, broad, from a broader perspective, you can't disagree, because Umaga was a guy that he had an amazing gimmick, a great look, he had solid matches, he was a scary dude, but he was never looked at as champion. He was looked at as, hey, this big guy. That's it. 
And I got to agree. I got to I got to agree a little bit with what JTG was saying, because at the end of the day, it's easier to create the angry, you know, the angry black man or the angry black woman than to invest any real energy into creating a character that's compelling, engaging and enjoyable. Luckily, the New Day have kind of ran away with it and they've made themselves compelling, engaging and enjoyable by doing it themselves because i'm sure that that creative gives them you know like a blueprint like xavier woods and kofi kingston doing fusion from dragon ball z on raw was nothing that fucking creative told them nothing xavier woods referencing street fighter and evo and any of that pop culture shit that nerds know that was all xavier woods on his own I sincerely doubt that creative knows about any of that shit. Any. Period. <clears throat> At the end of the day, and I've said this on numerous episodes, so I'm not going to beat a dead horse. The fact is that the New Day, Team Bad, um, Apollo Crews and NXT, these are all individuals that can be the face of your company. Just because they're not there quote-unquote, white face doesn't mean that they can't be the face. And again, I'm not saying that it's it's a racial thing, but the problem is that there are too many factors and too many signs that point in that direction. And the shit needs to change because wrestlers have sometimes intentionally or unintentionally leaned, uh, mentioned that the company leans in that direction. And eventually that shit's going to pick up steam and it's going to bite people in the ass. That's all I'm saying. Jay says, watch Table for Three with the New Day. It's great. I agree. If you haven't watched it and you got the network, please make it a point to do so. It is incredible, hilarious, and chock full of information. So definitely watch that if you get a chance. Last bit of wrestling news to wrap things up for tonight. Uh, the Wrestling Observer is reporting that Brock Lesnar is currently booked for the Royal Rumble in January. As of right now, it hasn't been decided if he will be participating or be wrestling at the event, but he is slated to be involved in the Royal Rumble in January, which of course is going to start kicking off the inevitable WrestleMania 32 buildup. So there you have it. If you're looking forward to seeing the Beast Incarnate, you may only have to wait until the Royal Rumble to see it. With that said, that is going to wrap up the wrestling news for the week as well as the wrestling segment, and uh, it's going to bring our show to a close. So I've given you my take on wrestling and MMA for this week. I would love to hear yours. Hit us up on social media. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash official RageWorks. You can find us on Twitter at Rage underscore Works. You can also find me on Instagram, RageWorks underscore Rich. And, of course, you can hit me up on email, mtrhost at mytakeradio.com or rich at rageworks.net. With regards to keeping up with the show, as I said, the social media outlets I just mentioned are one way. You can also follow us on Pinterest, uh, Google+, you know, all those other obscure areas. We're even on LinkedIn. If you want to keep an eye out there, we do forward updates to LinkedIn. And, of course, Audio and video versions of this show are available at the following. For audio, you'll be able to find it on iTunes, Stitcher, 
and TuneIn Radio. We are working on adding it to Google Music. Uh, that is a short-term goal for January. Once we have that done, we will announce it, of course, on all our channels. Uh, the goal is for January 2016, as I mentioned at the start of the show, to convert the My Take Radio feed to the RageWorks network. As such, we will not be eliminating My Take Radio, but it will be more conducive to all the shows that we currently offer. Besides My Take Radio, of course, Black is the New Black, uh, The Buried Show, and the regular season sportscast, which this week has Brian XL from House of Glory and will be uploaded in a couple of hours. With that said, that is going to wrap up tonight's show. Join us later on today, now that it's Thursday, for our gaming and entertainment edition of My Take Radio. And of course, next week is going to be our year-end wrap-up shows for both MMA and wrestling, as well as gaming and entertainment. After that, we will be back uh, January 13th and 14th with a ton of new surprises and a ton of new changes. I want to thank you guys for tuning in and continuing to support us in everything we do. I will see you guys for the gaming and entertainment edition of MTR later on today at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. Until then, I'm Rich, and this is My Take Radio. I am out of here. Peace. I'm rich, bitch. Uh, uh, that's all, folks.